Raiders, start your engines! Welcome to the one place everybody wants to be. Victory Lane, your source for news, analysis, discussion, interviews, and more from the world of NASCAR. Here's your host, Davey Siegel. Welcome back, party people, to the place everybody wants to be. You know it, you love it. It is Victory Lane. Today is episode 88, one of the most famous numbers in NASCAR. Dale Jarrett's donned it. Dale Earnhardt Jr.'s donned it. Darrell Waltrip's donned it. Bobby Allison has donned it. And if you guys don't know, my dad's favorite driver is Dale Jarrett. Won a championship a time or two in that car with that number. Daytona 500, Brickyard 400, countless races in the Hall of Fame. And we're going to be paying homage to him and some of those aforementioned drivers in this week's Wayback segment. So, Pops, I know you've been looking forward to this one. Take it away. Thank you, Duve. And welcome, everyone, to today's review of number 88, I've really been looking forward to this week and asked Davey for a little extra time since today we pay respect to one of NASCAR's greatest numbers and one of my favorite drivers. 1,746 starts for the 88, which places it fifth on the list behind only the 17, the 2, the 11, and of course the 43. Some pretty stout wheelmen drove those cars. The same can be said for the 88, which is one of the most famous numbers in NASCAR history. Check out this list of who's who drivers who piloted the 88, some of whom we've discussed in prior episodes. Tim and Bob Flock, Buck and Buddy Baker, Jim Pascal, Banjo Matthews, Tiny Lund, Fireball Roberts, Red Farmer of Alabama Gang fame, Benny Parsons, Bobby and Donnie Allison. Bobby Allison is one of my favorite drivers of all time, and we'll find another week to highlight his career. Darrell Waltrip, Ricky Rudd, Jeff Bodine, Rusty Wallace, Al Unser, who is my favorite IndyCar driver of all time. He drove the 88 once in 1986, at Watkins Glen. And lastly, a couple of guys named Dale. The first is Dale Earnhardt Jr., who won nine times in the 88 over 340 races. Look, to the Junior Nation listeners, I have nothing but respect for his racing career, his work as a race analyst, and the other interesting projects he's pursued following his racing career. His podcast is very entertaining, and his Lost Speedway series is must-see TV for racing fans. But today is not about Dale Jr. Sorry. The other Dale is, of course, Dale Jarrett, who raced the 88 380 times, more than any other driver, and who scored 28 wins behind the wheel of the 88. A personal aside here, Davey well knows that DJ is one of my favorite drivers. I grew up rooting for Bobby Allison, and after his accident at Pocono, his son Davey. I know what you're thinking, 
But no, Mama Siegel and I did not name the host of this podcast after Davy Allison, though that would be a good story to tell. After Davy Allison's untimely death, among the drivers who replaced him at Robert Yates Racing was Ernie Irvin. Jarrett filled in for Irvin after Ernie's big accident at Michigan in 1994 that almost cost him his life and which kept him out of a car for over a year. When Irvin came back to race the 28, Robert Yates dusted the 88 off and put Jarrett in that car with Ford sponsorship. He won the Daytona 500 three times, including the famous Dale and Dale show in 1993, where he beat Dale Earnhardt to the line with his father Ned rooting him on from the broadcast booth. He won the Brickyard 400 twice, one of those wins being in 1996, where he started the tradition of the winner kissing the bricks at the start-finish line. And he won the Cup title in 1999, driving the 88. I had the pleasure of rooting him on to two of his wins that year. You know about his dad, Ned, who was a two-time cup champion and NASCAR Hall of Famer. He won the 1965 Southern 500 by 14 laps, the largest distance margin in NASCAR history. But did you know that DJ's older brother, Glenn, also was a racer? An accident forced him out of the driver's seat and behind a microphone, he's been a longtime MRN radio voice. You may know that DJ's son Jason also tried his hand behind the wheel, and he's now a Cup Series spotter for Ryan Newman. But did you know that DJ almost pursued a golf career instead of one in racing? He eventually turned down a golf scholarship at South Carolina to race instead, and still sports a single-digit handicap. Dale Jarrett was named one of NASCAR's 50 greatest drivers in 1998, and he was inducted into the NASCAR Hall of Fame to join his dad there in 2014. Like his father, who was nicknamed Gentleman Ned, DJ had the reputation of being one of the most thoughtful and well-spoken competitors in the garage, traits that have served him well in his successful post-racing career as a race analyst and commentator. That was a fun walk down memory lane for me. Back to you, Doof. Thank you, Dad. Always good to hear some more history behind the number. And uh, as I said, I knew you were looking forward to that one. Anyways, we'll start this episode off, as we always do, with a good, old-fashioned... <laughs> Today, we're speaking with Dustin Albino of Frontstretch.com. But depending on when you're listening to this, he may be of J-Ski. And he's been one of my compadres on the media side for a handful of years now. We've kind of been hand-in-hand getting up through the ranks at Front Stretch. And he recently accepted a full-time job paying him full-time salary at jskeet.com, which is awesome. He's been a hard worker. He's pushed me. I've pushed him. And we talked about that in this conversation. We talked about a lot of other things as well. Growing up in upstate New York, what the racing scene was like up there how he got into NASCAR, his first real breaking news story, and how I was involved in that a little bit. The Galdashian saga is what kind of got him on the map in the names and eyes of people around the garage area. And then just in general, working his way up through the ranks, 
all the blood, sweat, and tears that go into this gig. And now he's made it to the top of the mountain, so to speak. And as a friend, I'm very happy for him. So we chatted about that a little bit. And I'll get out of the way. So without further ado, here's my conversation with up-and-coming media mogul. Yeah, I said it. Dustin Albino. Today on the podcast, we have another member of the NASCAR Media Corps. We had the indelible Jamie Little on a couple weeks ago. And look, I'm not saying that this guy's as good as Jamie Little. I'm just saying that he may be in due time. It is my friend, my compadre from Front Stretch and soon to be Jay Ski, Dustin Elbino. I want to say first off, thank you for putting the phonetic pronunciation of your last name in your Twitter. Because I think all this time since we've been friends, I thought you were albino. You're not the only one. I've gotten that <laughs> my entire life. I played sports all throughout, uh, you know, elementary school, high school, etc. And they always mis- mispronounced it. So NASCAR mispronounced it. People from NASCAR mispronounced it. So I had to do it. Well, you're not albino. <laughs> so I guess I should have known all along. Actually, Puerto Rican. Aha. Uh-huh. Where you go? <laughs> I was going to say Pura Vida, but that's Costa Rica, not Puerto Rico. I always get those confused. Right, right. (laughs) Well, Dustin, thanks for hopping on with me, my man. Um, As I told you leading up to it, I mean, we've been friends for a while. We've been media compadres for a while. So we're going to talk about a lot of stuff, but a lot of it's just going to kind of be regurgitating, like the conversations that we've already had in the past, good, bad, funny, indifferent, whatever. But um, you were in the news recently because you recently took a job at J-Ski starting January 1st which is very exciting, and we'll get to that. Congratulations once again. But I hope that the offseason has been treating you well. No NASCAR is weird. We understand that, but we get that every year. But this offseason is a little different because you can't go on vacation anywhere. You can't really see a lot of people, friends, family, whatever, and you're just kind of stuck at home doing nothing. (laughs) Exactly. Stuck at home doing nothing. Um, And it's crazy to think that the offseason is already halfway over more than halfway over, yeah. uh, you know, this past weekend, Christmas weekend. So, yeah, I don't know what you've been doing, but I haven't been doing a whole lot of much. You, I mean, I guess it's good in the sense that you get to build uh, not relationships, but with the people you're close to, you get to know them even more than, you know, when we're out on the road all the time. So, I mm-hmm. mean, that, that's a positive to it. Yeah, I would say so. It's just so weird, like adjusting to everything, though, because this is the time of year that like my family would be going somewhere warm on a beach, soaking up the sun. And I'd be counting down to Daytona under 50 days, by the way, Um, like booking my plane tickets, all this stuff. And now it's just nothing. Radio silence. There's just nothing to do. I know. But, you know, if you think there's an inkling chance of you going to Daytona, I would book it because ticket. (laughs) Airline ticket prices right now are very, very cheap. I got a round yeah. trip ticket for $85 to Orlando. Wow. Not a I may drive down there. I don't know. Well, I've done that. <laughs> it's yeah, a long, I know. long hike for me. I don't even know if I'll get credentialed for it. Like, I'm at that point, so I need to figure that out first. And then yeah. if I do, then I'll book my travel down there, and then I got a plan to quarantine when I get back and quarantine yeah. when I get there, but maybe not because Florida's just free willy-nilly. So there's <laughs> a whole it's different bunch of stuff going on. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's crazy times we're living in and it's almost been a year now, which is bizarre. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. Sure is. Well, we'll get to your exciting announcement that you had a couple weeks ago, a little bit later in the show, but I want to learn a little bit more about you. And I think the listeners do as well and how you got to this spot where you are right now, which is now having a full-time job in NASCAR media, which as you said, when you announced your move to J-Ski, like that was the childhood dream, and you have now achieved that to a certain extent. But take me all the way back 
to growing up in upstate New York. How did you get here? How did you get involved in NASCAR? How did you go down the media track? Give me the 411. Got it. Yeah, so I might get a little long-winded, so cut me off whenever you want to. Okay, um, I will. <laughs> but, yeah, Davey, I'm sure just like you, right? So I loved racing. I've had a, a passion for it ever since I was a little kid. I grew up around the racetrack, three, four years old. Uh, actually, it was three years old, I think. Uh, my parents, we were, I was, we were at my grandparents' house. Uh, they, My parents went out to dinner or whatever. So I was stuck with my grandmother. Right. And I was being a naughty, you know, little kid, little, little kid stuff. And I was probably whining, crying, whatever. And so she was flipping through the channels on the TV and race cars appeared and she wasn't a big race fan. My parents were like casual fans, but not, you know, not diehard. Right. And so she's like, Oh, look at the race cars go around and around. And then she saw a green one green at the time was my favorite color. And she's, it was Bobby Labonte. You're like, look at the green one. And so, you know, I was addicted from that point on. And I've missed, I don't know, not many races since then. Um, and so that's how I got hooked originally. I was three years old. And first race I went to was four years old, I think, at least at the NASCAR level. I might have went to dirt racing before that. I'm not sure. I'd have Where to was that at? There. Watkins Glen? Yeah, Watkins Glen. It's yeah. only an hour away from, you know, my hometown. So, mm -hmm. yeah, Watkins Glen. It's 2000. Steve Park won his first race. Wow. Uh, it's, yeah, that was... I remember bits and pieces of, obviously I was four years old. Yeah. So I don't remember a ton, but it was the only race I was at that, you know, I watched Dale Earnhardt at Dale senior. It's pretty cool. So yeah, I, I was just hooked from that moment. Um, and ever since then, like, you know, I got to be like seven, eight years old and I really started to become a fan of this, even though I'm playing other sports now, like basketball, uh, eventually football, baseball, right. since football, but racing was just always kind of my escape in a way. Like you could have a bad week at school or a bad week at the, you know, playing basketball or whatever, at doing sports and then racing, you knew, you knew you look forward to Sunday and that was racing. And so mm -hmm. that's kind of, it was my escape as is WWE. I'm sure we'll talk about that. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I mean, about eight, nine years old, I, I just knew what I wanted to do in terms of telling stories eventually. And so I kind of honed in on that. My high school didn't have, they had video production classes, but no real journalism classes. And then, you know, I wasn't, I was like a B student in high school. I wasn't, you know, an A because I was Join three sports, three, <laughs> three sport athlete. So, I, you know, I'm got devoted so much time into that. So I'm mm -hmm. not really paying attention to school. Um, you got to have friendships too in high school, obviously, as you're developing yourself. Um, so, yeah, I went to community college and they didn't, I mean, it's a good community college around here. Uh, and it's also, I mean, I'm pro community college uh, because you get all your core classes out of the way and you save a lot of money. Um, and so I was part of the, uh, I went for radio and television there because they didn't have a journalism program, but they did have a, like an alliance or a partnership with Ithaca where all your credits would transfer in. Ithaca College obviously has a really good uh, communications program, journalism program. So that's where I wanted to go. I wanted to go to Syracuse, which I'm sure we'll also talk about. Yeah. Um, but the financial aid just didn't make sense. So Ithaca, very good school, very good communication school. And that's where I kind of developed uh, my writing skills a little bit, uh, how to tell stories, different stories. They would kind of set you up for not failure, but they would get you outside your comfort zone, like political stuff. I hate politics, Join but you'd have to again. cover political. <laughs> yeah. So um, that's, that's where, you know, I, I knew what I want to do from a little kid, but I knew I had to hone in on my writing skills and just my yeah. storytelling skills in general. 
So can you pinpoint like when, where, how you, you decided that you wanted to go down the storytelling route? Because personally, and we may have had this conversation, I don't remember, but you know, from a young age, just as you, like I went to the racetrack when I was pretty young, I watched it on TV. I was obsessed with it. It was my escape. I knew that this is something that I wanted to do long-term, but young Davey was like, oh yeah, I want to be a driver. And then one day I realized that that financially, geographically, emotionally, all of these different factors that go into becoming a race car driver, that wasn't going to work. So then I started thinking, well, how can I still be involved? I decided to go down the journalism route. One thing led to another. Here we are today. But you said from a young age, like you always liked to be a storyteller and tell those stories about the sport. Can you pinpoint like where that love for that started? I don't know where it started. I don't have like a, a moment in time, but or maybe how it started. I just, I guess because like you, like I didn't see myself going down the driver route. And like you said, financially, we all know how, how much this takes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you really don't know how much it takes until you get into it. True. Um, but even at like the local level, I did a documentary at Ithaca for my final project um, on dirt racing. And you see how much, even at the, at the local level, how much funding helps you, you know, and how much better, if you have better equipment, I mean, it's just, you're going to perform better. So yeah. I never really wanted to be a driver. Uh, I can't say that I did. So I guess I wanted to be part of the sport in some aspect, some way. And I felt like that was the next easiest, not the easiest way because it hasn't been easy, mm -hmm. but the next, next way where I could probably shine or, yeah. or be a part of it for a, for a long time. Yeah, it was like one of the logical routes to be involved in the sport. Absolutely, yeah. Because, like I said, driver. There's only 40 drivers at the cup level. 36 in Xfinity. 32. We ain't gonna cut trucks. it. I mean, yeah, I, I, yeah. It's just it wouldn't have worked out. So, I wanted to be a part of the sport in some way, shape, and form. Mm -hmm. And uh, this, I think, was was the best way. So tell me a little bit about upstate New York and when you were a kid growing up watching racing, because I think, and I'm guilty of it, or I was at least until I met a lot of people from upstate New York, you know, I always associated New York city as just being the entire state. And I'm sure a lot of people Everyone. do. Yeah. Um, but I met you, one of our mutual friends, Elijah Burke, Aaron Fisher. Like I have a lot of friends now that are from upstate New York and I have a lot of friends that went to college at Syracuse or went to Ithaca. And I realized that upstate New York is like a completely different place than New York City. Who knew, right? Um, but with that being said, you know, I've only seen Watkins Glen in the Finger Lakes region and been to Syracuse once for like a college visit. So the vibe up there, like, are there a lot of race fans? Is it more so local racing and not super into NASCAR? Because like here in the D.C. area, nobody really likes racing, period. But along the eastern mm -hmm. seaboard, there's a mix of local racing, but the majority is NASCAR focused. And then as you work your way west, you get more involved in IndyCar in the upper Midwest into Indianapolis and stuff like that. But what's the what's the interest in upstate New York, especially when you were growing up, like going to school? Were you that kid that liked racing? Because I was. Yeah, I was that kid. Uh, <laughs> it is very localized, I would say. So the 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 broader like NASCAR, um, the NASCAR level, not at least growing up anyways, like it's not, not talked about a lot. So yes, mm -hmm. I was that kid, who, you know, I'm wearing Bobby Labonte t-shirts to school or, or yeah. whoever, you know, I have a Bobby Labonte hat on, on the bus or whatever it was, but, um, dirt racing, dirt racing's huge up here. Yeah. So, I mean, we have super dirt week, uh, every October and they used to have the Syracuse, the finale at the Syracuse mile 
which is a mile dirt track, huge, it's a big dirt track, it's a mile. Um, but recently, 2016, I think, they tore the grandstands down and unfortunately it went under. So they moved it mm-hmm. to Oswego. Um, but you'd see a lot of NASCAR drivers, it's big block modified. So a lot of yeah. NASCAR drivers would, would race in it. Like JJ Ailey's raced in it. I know Tony Stewart said in his retirement press conference that that was one of the places that he wanted to race at. And unfortunately, 2016 was his retirement year, so he never got the opportunity. But dirt racing's huge up here. Um, and there's, I, I mean, I don't know, there's tons of dirt tracks around me. Yeah. You could, I could probably name off like 10 of them in, within an hour and a half of me. So, yeah, it's huge. And it's kind of surprising because it's, you know, up north, we're up north. You, I would think dirt racing would be particularly, you know, popular, and it is in the Midwest, you know, obviously like Kenny Wallace in the St. Louis area, like I think of him. So, yeah, I mean, it's for me, I I went, I used to go to dirt races every Sunday night um, growing up at Weed Sport Speedway. And Weed Sport's only about, I don't know, 25 minutes from me. It's my home track. Um, And you'd you'd see guys like Tony Stewart came there. uh, Casey Kane's been there. Whole bunch of World of Outlaws comes every year almost. So, yeah, I just I had a passion for for all kinds of racing, particularly NASCAR. Um, but dirt racing is huge, very big yeah. up here. Yeah. All right. So now let's get into the meat and potatoes, which is the media portion of things. I may or may not have done some snooping on Instagram and scrolled back down to your like first few posts, maybe. <laughs> um, but I found out that we were both a part of the Speedway Digest gang. Rise up, baby. I had no I idea you were with them. I was with them for like two seconds, though. I didn't know you were with them either. Yeah, I was with them for like literally two seconds, and then I think I went to front stretch. Hey, look, they gave me my first opportunity, and yeah. that was uh, 2014. Um, so Joel Wilkin, mutual friend of ours, he's honestly one of my biggest mentors in this whole deal. Um, I kind of stalked his Instagram and Twitter <laughs> Uh, cause he started at the end of 2013, I believe being kind of a reporter and he went, I think his first race was, uh, 2014 at Pocono. I might be mistaken on this. Um, but I, I was there as a fan. And so I saw his Twitter, followed him, saw his Instagram, followed him. I'm not sure if he was following me at the time, but it was late 2014, like, I don't know, mid October or so. And he put a, uh, tweet out there saying how Speedway Digest was looking for an opening. If you're interested, let me know. So I think I believe it DM'd him. And uh, it kind of got set up right there. My first article was the night before the championship race in 2014. It was on Carl Edwards' season. So uh, yeah, Speedway Digest, I was there for pretty much two years. And they gave me they gave me a good opportunity. Um, yeah. And, you know, ever since then, it's just kind of went to front stretch, did a ton there. And I'm sure we'll talk about that. Mm-hmm. And now Jason. It's funny because I was a speed day, Speedway Digest for like a little bit. I think the order for me was turn four racing news, which is a site that Jason Schultz, you remember him? You know him. Mm-hmm. He works yeah, in the sport, Jason. obviously. Yeah. He ran <laughs> that. And he was, I mean, he is like, what, four or five years younger than me almost? Not even, maybe three or four. And I think I DM'd him and I was like, hey, can I write for you? And I wrote for him for a little bit. So I think it was turn four racing news, then Speedway Media, then Speedway Digest, then Front Stretch. So we we handled like almost all of the NASCAR blogs like growing up. (laughs) Between the both of us. Yeah, absolutely. I didn't know you were with all those companies. Some of them were only for like legitimately like a couple months or like 
and I, I didn't really write a whole lot while I was there. I think just cause I mm-hmm. was like not really understanding how the business worked, but it was just funny. Cause I went back and I was like looking at your Instagram and you were, I think, yeah, it was like 2014 and you were super excited to join the Speedway media team. And now looking back on it, I was like, wow, if he only knew what the next four or five years held for him. Yeah. You get hooked. It's like a drug. It is. <laughs> It's bad. It's I've bad. always been a drug. I've always have. When you're when you're spending your own money to go to the races, um, and you get you're kind of like on that high at the track. Uh, you know, you get all this access. You're talking to people that you you would. I mean, at least to me, I respect the hell out of every driver mm-hmm. in the field. Um, but then when it's over, then you got to go back. You got to go back to work or go back to college, and then it's like man, I just, I didn't waste money because I had a, you know, I got a ton of access. hundred percent. Yeah. But in a way I wasted money and it. And that, that part of it sucks. Yeah, no, that's, that's a good point. And we were talking about that, you know, like, while we were prepping for the show, which is like, you know, we both have put a lot of our own money, our parents' money into like, you know, getting us to the racetrack to get the access. Yes. Do the work. Yes. But more so to get our faces and our work in front of the necessary people for them to see like, look, we're trying to make it here. We're trying to, you know, establish ourselves here. And I think now the fact that you've gotten a full-time job because of all that hard work, all that dedication away from the track, you know, working and reporting and sourcing your stories, but also at the track doing all that stuff. It sounds very cliche, but like, like I think I'm one of the few people that can like relate to you in that way. I know that that is insanely rewarding because as you said, one of your childhood goals was to get a full-time job in NASCAR. And mm-hmm. after all the blood, sweat, tears, trials, tribulations, you finally did it now. So I know that in the moment, paying your way to go to those races, as you know, we still do from time to time here, it sucks in a way. But when you get to a point now where you seem to be reaching the top of the mountain in terms of what your childhood dream was, makes it all the more worth it. We could do an entire like three-hour podcast solely on this topic. Um, because literal blood, sweat, and tears, like there's nights where, you know, I'd be miserable. Um, a lot of nights, even recently, right? Like before, because you want this full-time job and you feel like you're, you don't, you know, you don't deserve anything. I don't think, but you feel like you've earned, you know, you've been in front of the right people. You've done the work. Uh, you go to the tracks, you're in front of the right people. And then it just like right now, the racing landscape on the media side is very tough to do, get anything. So the fact that I was able to, you know, the fact that JC was hiring and they went after me, I, I mean, I'm so thankful for that. Um, because there are almost no opportunities right now. It's so hard to break into this industry. You, you, you can do all the things we're doing, but I've done it for six years. You've done it for what, four or five. Mm-hmm. And I mean, what else do you have to do? It's, it's very tough. So, and it's mentally draining and, it can be jipped in, in many different ways. Yeah, I, it can. And, you know, you were living proof of that. I am somewhat living proof of that. Um, mm-hmm. But we talked about it, too. Like some days you're at the track and you were miserable, like yeah. like either at your Airbnb or your hotel or like even at the track doing your work where don't get me wrong. You're thankful for the access, thankful for the opportunity, enjoying yourself. But you have this thing that's just lingering over you. That's like I'm doing everything I can do. I've been doing it for six years. Everybody's telling me I'm doing the right thing. I know that I'm putting myself in the right position and nothing's happening. And that can be extremely taxing and mentally draining. And it, it is. And it's just, there's no way to like get rid of that feeling because you're not going to stop. Like nothing's going to stop you. And I think we're similar in that respect as well, because like 
not only have we invested financially in it this much, but like just time and mm-hmm. effort. Like they're, they're, you're not going to stop at this point, but just pushing through that type of stuff. And I know some people listening may be like, stop, you get, you're so lucky you get access, you get to talk to these guys, blah, blah, blah. We get that. But it doesn't mean that at some point it doesn't suck and is super frustrating. Yeah, and it doesn't pay the bills. I mean, and 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 off of that, like you'd you'd have all this access and everything, but then you get home and like I said, you go to college, which college was fine because you know you got to do schoolwork. But when once you graduate college, like the past, you know, 2018, 2019, 2020 for me, last two and a half years of, of NASCAR anyway, mm-hmm. it's tough because you got to go back to a job. And then it's like you're I'm miserable there, right? Like because you you're going off this high that I was just talking about. Yeah. And now you're back to reality. And it's like, oh, this sucks. So uh yeah, you can you can invest so much and we have. I know you have too. Um, you just it's almost like you gotta impress the right person, but who's that right person? Because you know, we both have like mentorship, mentors, the same mentors in, in this business, and it's like they can, they can do a lot for you. They can give you all this advice, but can not many of them give you a job. Yeah. Right. And it's tough. Yeah. It's like, it's like half timing and then half just knowing the right people and doing all the stuff that, you know, you have been doing a lot of it is timing. Like you said, like you weren't even looking for the J ski thing and it just kind of popped into your lap because of the timing was right. Yeah. I got an email this Saturday. Uh, I was in Phoenix and I was at a Walmart getting headphones because my headphones broke the night before and <laughs> I down and I got an email and I'm like, Oh man, like this is, this is cool. Yeah. And so I texted Joe, you know, a mutual friend, Joe Wilkin right away. And I'm like, this seems like a cool opportunity. And I talked to some other people and yeah, it just happened. And I was not looking for that. And I was going into the off season. I thought, thinking like another year just went by and I get this year was unique. And the fact that, you know, we didn't go to as many races as we Mm -hmm. probably would have otherwise. And so we didn't maybe spend as much money. In fact, this year I made money off of racing, which was great. Um, First time ever, but I was thinking like, you know, next year, 2021 comes around, it's going to be another grind. And it's so mentally draining when you're on the road and you're spending time and that energy and effort. And then you're doing it again the next week or two weeks later. And you just want to, show you my mindset is if you're out of sight you're out of mind like in the garage if, mm-hmm. if you're not at the track people are going to forget about you so yeah. that's that's why i devoted so much time and energy hoping that i would get an opportunity and thankfully so thankful that i got that opportunity now so you mentioned joe walk and i call him my meatball because he looks like a meatball <laughs> and i know he's definitely listening so hi joe um, he's been one of your mentors. I know Tom, my boss at front stretch, your current boss, Beth's be former boss. He's been one as well. Uh, any other mentors that you've had like growing up throughout the years, just working your way up the ranks that you've leaned on and have been really helpful for you. Yeah. On the racing side. So Alan Kavana has been one of my biggest mentors. Uh, I met him when I was a fan 2014 at Watkins Glen. He went to Syracuse. So we have that mutual yep. connection, I guess you could say, cause I was Bill's fans too. Both Bills fans, yep. So he went to Syracuse. He graduated, I think, in 04. I don't want to date him here. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> or, or age him. But, yeah, I think he graduated 04. So he was there for the Carmelo Anthony uh, year. Wow, but anyways, cool. yeah, anyways, I, I talked to him at Watkins Glen, asking him, because at that point I was in community college. I was going into my second year of community college, and I wanted to make the transition to a, a big school and Syracuse was one of my options that I, I really wanted uh, Syracuse and Ithaca really. And as you heard, I went to Ithaca, but um, 
so I talked to him um, and that was as a fan. And then the first race I covered, it was June of 2015 at Pocono with Speedway Digest. Uh, and I saw him in the media center and it was just like a, a full circle moment, even though it was less than a year in the making. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's like, Oh, it's good to see you. Like, you know, I was glad for me to be there. Um, so Alan, he's been great to me. Uh, Jeff Gluck is both of our mentors. I know, I know yeah. your relationship with him, and he's been great to me as well. Giving me a ton of advice, you know, telling me to keep doing what I'm doing. He's, he told me once that, you know, for at my age, this was probably two and a half, three years ago at my age, like I'm way ahead of where he was and we all know where he is now. And I respect the hell out of Jeff. He's such a great storyteller, yeah. such a great person. And then also like um, Jim Hutter, like a lot of people <laughs> can say what they want about Jim Hutter, but he's always been great to me. Um, me too. Uh, 2016. So I was about, a, it was a year anniversary of covering my first weekend at Pocono. Uh, he, Chris Knight, and Lee and Reed Spencer asked me to go out to dinner. And obviously I'm not going to say no to that because uh, <laughs> you're picking the brains of people who've been around the sport forever yeah, yeah. Or for a very long time anyway. So you'd be dumb to say no. Um, so, I mean, those guys, there's so many, even Bob Pockers, he's always been great to me. Um, he, he reached out to me personally uh, when the J ski job came, but I talked to him and Dustin Long at Watkins Glen that same year I talked to Alan just being like, what do I got to do just to break into the industry? Yeah. And uh, Bob told me, you know, you got to cover, start covering races at your local tracks. So I did that. Um, and so, yeah, those, I would say those, hopefully I'm not missing any Tom above anyone else, Tom Bowles. I mean, you know, people can also say what they want about Tom, but he is such a good dude and he would drop anything for anybody that he cares about. Especially and he, us. Absolutely. His, the people that devote time and energy into his company, He's there for a hundred percent. So, uh, Tom, Tom is a hundred percent probably like the best mentor you could ask for. Yeah. I take him for granted. I can say that. With I think a lot of people do. And I did too, as well for a very long time. And then I finally, I was bought into front stretch into the brand and him developing young writers. There's so many success stories that maybe go unnoticed from front stretch. Yeah. There's a you lot know, of people I, that are in the NASCAR media center you know, Tom, Jim, Jeff, Bob, like all these people and the stories that you were saying of seeing them for the first time at your first race. I don't remember the first race that I covered and was credentialed as media for, but I do remember the first couple times when I, yeah, I don't remember it. I don't know why I, it, maybe it was, uh, I don't remember the first one that I covered. It might've been Watkins Glen. Um, cause I think I remembered that I was in the, the media center and the, infield and like there were no windows or something maybe but i I don't remember i don't know why which is crazy that's interesting i know um and you would think it'd be dover or richmond because they're they're close to me though they're my home tracks but it wasn't i don't know why i think it was the Glen, but i don't know what year and i don't know i don't know for sure but anyways i'm like all these people (laughs) in the media center like I, i haven't really met somebody that is mean you know like a bad person everybody will go out of your, out of their way to help you. And especially, you know, when we were young and just introducing ourselves saying, Hey, this is me. Like, I'm just trying to get into the industry. They always lended a helping hand. They always were there. Um, some of them lead by example. Some of them go out of their way to help you. But as you said, like all the people that you said, you know, whether they know it or not, like they've been mentors, like either close or from afar. Like I don't talk to Bob all the time, but 
you know, I called him like a couple weeks ago. I DM'd him on Twitter and I like asked him if I could just call him over the phone to just pick his brain. And he gave me like 30 minutes and just like gave me some advice, told me like, you know, some, some things that I could maybe do this year to like make myself stand out. And he, he didn't have to do that. Like he is, he's Bob. Like he is the NASCAR media reporter. Like he's it. He's the boy. And he's the yeah, boy. I know. And like, he gave me 30 minutes of his time. Jeff did the same thing. Like we have a really close relationship, which I'm super thankful for, but just like these people are very nice and there's a lot of hostility in the world. And I don't mean to get like deep, but there's a lot of hostility in the world and the media industry, NASCAR specifically it's very cutthroat, as you know, especially journalism, mm-hmm. especially television, which is a route that I'm trying to go down. And to see that there are good people out there and that they will help you and that, you know, everybody's not out to get each other and just take somebody's job or cut somebody, stab them in the back. It's refreshing. And to look on that, like from a bigger picture view and say, like, you know, I don't know if this would be the case if I was working in like the NFL or the NBA. Like, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it is. Yeah. But all I know is what I know, which is the NASCAR media core. And by and large, they've been great. Um, everybody that I've talked to has just been very nice, very welcoming, very helpful. And I'm very grateful for that. I take that for granted, but I'm grateful for it. That's a good point, because I've I, I don't know what it would you know, you don't know what you don't know or you know what you know, which is NASCAR for me, too. Yeah. Like I've never covered an NBA game or an NFL game, or I've covered college basketball, but not yeah. division one, you know? So I don't know what that that's like, that business is like, I'm sure we could adopt to it if we had to, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, every, everyone, I can't, there's not a bad person in the media center in NASCAR anyway. Like I, you know, I can't say anything bad about anybody. And not that you know, I mentioned like, yeah, and maybe they're different behind your back. I mean, you don't never know that. I, but yeah, I don't know. To me, they've been great. Same here. And um, like Utter, for instance, right? Like uh, I was 2017, my first time at Richmond. We went, him, myself, the Spencers, and, and Chris again, Chris Knight, went to a hibachi place for dinner. Maybe it was lunch. It was dinner. And he picked up my bill. And I'm like, you didn't have to do that. Like, you know, I, this was my first time. He's like, I want you to enjoy it. And he's paying it forward to a sense. And so that that leaves a good impression on me. So when yeah. I'm in a position where I have the, you know, the resources, I can pay it forward to someone. Right. Exactly. So that's just a good example. You know, they're setting a good example. And yeah, yeah same thing like with you, with Bob. Uh, it was two years ago. I was in a rough spot mentally, the 2018 offseason. I didn't know what to do. I was looking at all these jobs. I had an offer uh, opportunity at WWE that I, that ended up not working out. Um, but I call I texted Jeff for something and he, we ended up talking. He's like, I'll call you in 15 minutes or say, give me 15 minutes. And I was working. So I'm like, Oh, can we do later maybe? And he's like, yeah, sure. And he was on West coast time at the time. I think he was living in Portland C- probably. Yeah. Portland. So he's three hours behind me. And so we ended up talking for like an hour and I'm like, he didn't have to do that. Right. Like he doesn't have to do that. It's Jeff Gluck. And like you, like I take that for granted sometimes. And these are guys I looked up to my whole life. You follow on Twitter. You're like, Oh, I want to be like you. Or, you know, I was going through tweets yeah, and you're, I was going through tweets a couple of weeks ago, old tweets. And you're looking at, you know, stuff that you responded to them as a fan. And it just, it's crazy how life yeah. comes full circle at times. I was on time hop the other day and I, uh, it was a picture from when I was a senior in college and I flew down to Alabama to visit one of my best friends there, go to a, go to a game. 
and that was the same weekend as the playoff race at Talladega, and I wanted to take him and his friends to the race. And um, I told Jeff that I was there. That's This is when I was still like a, a fan. So I was mm-hmm. decked out in all my Kevin Harvick stuff. And there's a picture of me and Jeff, me and all my Kevin Harvick stuff. And well, I texted cool. it to him from like four years ago or something like that. I was like, damn, time flies, doesn't it? It's crazy. It's really cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's just the small things like that that makes you, makes you happy that you chase this stuff because you, sure. you do take for granted that, you know, the people that you've been able to meet, the people you know, and, the, and some of the power that they have. So let's get more into Front Stretch because that's how we met. That's how we developed our friendship relationship. That's really where you grew, hit your stride as a reporter, as a writer. You did work with the podcast the past couple of years, broke a ton of stories, wrote a ton of content, got the stranglehold on Xfinity stuff, did some on-camera stuff with this mug. Um, and that that's like, you know, obviously that's, one of the main reasons that you got the opportunity at JSKI was because, as we talked about, you know, off camera, you went all in this past year for front stretch and you weren't getting paid a lot and it was still paying your way to races a lot of the time. But you went all in and it paid off. And now looking back on it, you know, front stretch is a huge chapter and portion of your life. And that is really where you were able to blossom and grow into the reporter and writer that you are now. I love front stretch. I gotta be honest. Um, I really do. Tom loves to hear that. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of reasons that we can do another three hour podcast on this. Um, but they give you a platform and it's a respected platform. Like it's not, it's not a joke. It's not, it's not a small, it is a small. I'm going to cut you off for a sec. I have a funny story about that. So when I first joined front stretch, uh, I'm used to turn four racing news, speedway media, speed, speedway digest, whatever. Um, and like, I, I had never had anybody like that. I knew of like read my stories, listen <laughs> to my pot, whatever. Right. So I wrote like a news article cause I was on news or like I posted entry lists for a year. God, that sucked. Um, <laughs> but I like did all the grunt work and stuff for front stretch for like a year and a half or so. And I remember, I don't remember what it was, but the first article that I published on the site, I texted Tom and Joe, I think, cause somebody commented on it. And I was like, somebody commented on it. Somebody actually read it. And they were like, yeah. And I was like so shocked and dumbfounded because that had never happened to me because I don't know why. I just thought that anything that I wrote just went out into the internet and nobody read it or saw it, whatever. And that was the first time that I realized like, okay, this is a platform. Like what I had before was a platform, but this is a platform. You know what I mean? Like people actually pay attention to this. I just had to cut you off because I remember that very vividly. That's funny. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if I had a moment like that, but yeah, people read it and there's, there's a lot of yeah. readers out there that go to front stretch for their news. For the and if you're listening, we thank you for visiting the site. Please continue to do so. And J ski as well. Absolutely. So <laughs> and J ski link to front stretch. So and absolutely. Other but um, yeah, so it gives you a platform where that you might not have had before. And a lot of writers don't have, and that's why they're there. And there's, you know, there's like 40 of us. There's a lot of people that make up yeah. the front stretch crew. And it's probably the biggest media definitely media. I'm not going to say empire, but there's a lot of people there making it yeah. go together. And it's, it's yeah. like you, the first, uh, first place I had been where there's an editing staff, uh, behind your work and pushing it forward. And me too. They're, you know, they're very, they're very, you know, forward on getting everything out to uh, whether it's on the Facebook page or Twitter page, whatever, just to make sure that 
the work is, is shown in, in all realms and, and they have a big Facebook following. So that's where it specializes. But anyways, yeah. So 2016, I met Tom in Daytona. I drove, I drove, a, took a full day to drive from Ithaca to Daytona. That Maniac. was a long, That was, yeah, it was a 2300 mile round trip. That and was, you had Tom's mug staring you in the face when you got there. What a welcome yeah. present. <laughs> but that was the first time I met Tom. Um, and Joe Wilkin had really wanted me to join front stretch. So I'm like, all right, let's, you know, let's, let's see what it's about. And I remember Tom from Regis Philbin's show crowd goes wild. He was a guest analyst on there at time from time for NASCAR, which was really cool. And I'm like, Oh, this is Tom. Like, great. So, um, yeah, we talked to him. I was, I joined and then I was the news writer and like you doing a lot of the grunt work for front stretch. Mm-hmm. And I knew this is what I wanted to do. Right. Like I said that from seven, eight years old, but I knew this was my first real opportunity. So I, I knew I had to kind of go all in and sacrifice, you know, like when you're at college, like I said, I went to Daytona from Ithaca. So this was my first year at Ithaca, my second semester. Like you got to sacrifice a whole week of school really. Cause I went for speed week at the time I went for a week, <coughs> excuse me. And then um, you just got to sacrifice like going out on the weekends, right? Like it's little stuff, but it's not, it's not a lot, you know, but it is, stuff that you're growing and developing in college you know colleges people are like oh you want to go out this weekend nope sorry i'm being dude i missed my last weekend of college as a senior because i was in meridian idaho covering a k&n west race (laughs) my friends did not understand that and i was like i was sitting alone in my hotel room and i'm like it's my last weekend as a college student in my (laughs) life all my like i don't i barely drink so it's whatever but like all my friends are out having a good time probably drunk as hell, like having some jumbo sliced pizza or some cheese fries. And I'm just in Idaho, like watching the Utah jazz play at like 1030. Like, mm-hmm. like w- what am I doing? But I was, but again, that goes back to the conversation we had, like it sacrifices its devotion. Sorry. It's very minimal, but regardless, it is a sacrifice because mm-hmm. people are like, Oh, you know, your friends, you want to go out? Nope. Sorry. I'm in Virginia or wherever, Utah, Ohio, wherever it is. <laughs> and so, yeah, I mean, front stretch, that's where I developed my real passion for telling stories. Like I've always, even before that, like I, I was passionate about telling stories and storytelling in general, but there is where, because you're given so many opportunities really to do whatever you want. And Mm -hmm. so that's what I did with the Xfinity stuff. I took over that in 2017 and I just wanted to tell stories, unique stories that other people don't tell about the drivers. And I think this year, 2020, that I really got to hone in on that because I had so much free time not going to the races, not really working, you know, unfortunately because of the pandemic. Yeah. So I could talk to a ton of people and tell these cool stories um, yeah. and just promote the Xfinity series, which, you know, NASCAR focuses a lot of its, its marketing towards the cup series. I mean, let's just be honest. So to, to, I'm not saying like, they're, you know, my platform's bigger than them, not the case at all, obviously, but to be able to tell stories of the Xfinity drivers that maybe people didn't know is something I like doing. And it's something that I feel like's really kind of kind of got my name out there in a way. That was a question that I actually had in my outline um, because you have a stranglehold on Xfinity series content. And I don't know if that was, you know, a premeditated thing where you said, you know, there's there's not any devoted coverage to this specific series. There's an opening there. Let me try to fill it. Or if it was something that kind of just happened organically and you it mm-hmm. just kind of spurred into what it is now. It did happen organically. And I think really, I, I, 
you know, 2017 is when I, when I took over the Xfinity page and Xfinity beat really, but it wasn't, I didn't really have that mindset then, but I would say going to 2018, I, I did in 2019. And then this year, obviously, I uh, definitely had that mindset. So I think there is a void there of Xfinity of the lower series in general. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, I get it. Cause thing, I did, I did the Arca stuff in KN for a couple of years. So I get it. There's a huge void there. Yeah. I mean, yeah. so you did a great job at telling those stories. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, like Mark Crystal on front stretches site now is, is filling that void to a degree. And I respect him for that because a lot of people, they just focus on, on the Cup Series. Like we're counting down to Daytona. We're counting down to Daytona 500. And don't get me wrong. It's the Daytona freaking 500. But there's two races before that. There's the Xfinity and the Truck Series. You don't hear much about it. So And there's an ARCA race and a test. Yeah, absolutely. See, like I just forgot about the ARCA race. So yeah. <laughs> It's moved this year, right? Like it's the night before the 500 or the day before. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's just where it wasn't premeditated, but it was something I wanted to, to bring to people's eyes. And I, hopefully yeah. I did that or done that. So uh, 2017 is also when a lot of people that are listening may have heard your name for the first time. And <laughs> kudos to you because you uh, reminded me to tell this story. But that was when the Goldashian thing happened. Um, and it's kind of what put you on the map. Can you take me back there in terms of, you know, what the process was like in terms of crafting that story, the mm-hmm. reaction afterwards from fans, from the Goldashians themselves, from <laughs> Tom? Like, take me back to that whole time period and what you were feeling, what you were doing. Because it seemed like that was the story and the thing that kind of got your name out there i think you're right by that and it was just a lot of (laughs) a lot of bullshit poured into into one story like it wasn't (laughs) i don't know if it was a a great story but it is what got my name out there so uh if i talked to it goes back even before the story um and before when i kind of went after it but i talked to greg galding at dover that year which was 2017 so it would have been i think it was the first weekend of june and it was his rookie year with BK Racing. And so, you know, we talked about that for one of the beyond the, the cockpit pieces at front stretch that we ran that week. And then like the next week, I think it was after Pocono. I think it was after Pocono or Michigan. He was out of the car. And I'm like, oh, this is weird. And this is really my first insight of like, not, I'm not going to say the business of NASCAR, but kind of behind the scenes, like what goes yeah. on. Yeah. And I'm right in the middle of it. So I didn't cover a race from Pocono, which was the week after Dover, I believe until new hampshire which was i don't know five six weeks later so i wanted i reached out to the goldings after um after gray was out of the car uh he got pulled from the 23 and i didn't get a response so i saw gray in the garage and i asked him what happened in new hampshire and he's like oh come on in he was racing for premium at the time i believe in the 15 car and so we talked about it on record and i'm like he's saying how he wasn't getting paid by uh ron divine and i'm like oh this is this is juicy and so i told tom about it and he (laughs) um he's like yeah we got to go after some other sources so i talked to matt de benedetto landon castle uh ryan ellis pretty much any driver almost all drivers that had a past at bk racing that was at the track that week just to see like what the atmosphere was like there yeah and if they were getting paid or if they got paid and that was like the, that weekend helped develop me as a journalist. 
so much um, because you're talking to people and I mean, you're just coming up with questions off the whim <laughs> and you hope and you're just going stick. up to them and approaching them and like they may not know who yeah. you are and you're yeah, just saying, they, hey, they did you get paid by Ron Devine? And they're like, who the fuck is this guy? <laughs> like it was looking back at it, it was very ballsy of me to do. Um, but I do think, you know, we held the story for two weeks. We went to Pocono and I think we published it two days after the second Pocono race, um, just to talk to the, the Galdings again um, and everything, you know, make sure everything was right. Uh, there was just so much that went into that story. And I do think that was the first time people, a lot of people probably heard of my name uh, because, you know, Jeff had me on his podcast that next week at Watkins Glen because I was there. It was just a good stretch of races for me because I was at so many yeah. uh, in a short amount of time there in the Northeast. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, but that <laughs> that Goldashian quote will go down is probably one of the best I've, I ever get from Ron Devine. <laughs> I would say so. That was uh, but the reaction from the Goldings was not positive, and rightfully so, right? Like to this day, I don't, I don't, I think I've talked to Gray once since then, and it was awkward. But it is what it is. I mean, it is what I'm, it is, yeah. I'm over it. You're just doing your business. You know, you're doing yeah. your job. So it is what it is. Got a job to do. You got to do your job. That's it. Absolutely. So we've hit on Jay Ski a bunch, and, and you've you've basically said how it was an opportunity that came up that you couldn't really pass up, and you weren't even looking for it, which makes it all the crazier. But just tell me a little bit more about that. Um, I know Scott obviously runs things over there with Jay, and I've never met them in person. I don't think a lot of people have met them in person. Yeah, but I have you know, but everybody knows Jay Ski. Like, and and when they went away, and then when they came back, that was a huge deal. Um, if you're curious about that, I think the NASCAR and NBC podcast did a special episode with Jay about that a couple of years ago. So check that out. But, um, you know, like any, anybody that watched NASCAR or followed NASCAR to a certain extent, but like beyond watching it on TV from the early two thousands to now, they know about Jay ski. Yeah. And now you are with them, a part of the team and you're going to be writing original content for them for the first time ever, which is amazing. Yeah, that's kind of the selling point that I had. So, like I said, I got an email November, I guess it was November 7th, uh, that Saturday. And it's funny how I, I'm very, very good at remembering dates of like key moments in my life. So, <laughs> that's a key moment. I'm not because I don't even remember the first race I covered. <laughs> very, yeah, it's very true. Um, so, yeah, so I got an email um, and, you know, things started progressing very quickly. I had a Zoom call with Scott on the 10th, the Tuesday after I got home from Phoenix. And things just started going. And by the following Friday, I had accepted it. Um, you know, everything quick. was put together. It was quick. And it it was kind of a relief to know that, you know, so, so early in the off season that I didn't have to really worry about 2021, which is such a, good a feeling, I bet. <laughs> it was a good feeling. It is a good feeling. Um, so, yeah. So, Jayski, I mean, I've went to that website since I was, you know, yay high. Me <laughs> very, too. very small kid. Um, I, I was on Sirius the day I announced it and I said that, you know, like seventh grade math class, we're in the computer lab and I'm on JC. I'm not paying attention to the class. <laughs> so I'm on JC looking at the paint schemes or whatever it was. So, I always went there for the paint schemes. That's all I yeah. did. Yeah. And they still keep up to date with it. They have yeah. archives of every year, which is incredible. Um, it's a very respected website. And I think everyone, like I had a team owner once, I won't name him, but he came up to me. And he's like, I did a story. And he's like, oh, it's on J-Ski. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, incredible. It was one of my, I think one of my first stories that made J-Ski. 
um, which was cool. So they, what I'm, my point is, is that everyone in the industry looks at J ski and yeah. from a young age, like I said, I've looked at it forever and pre-internet really, you know, before pre-social media, I should say like J ski was the place to go. Yeah. Because it had everything, all the rumors that was going around in the garage, yeah. everything. And so the fact that me growing up and going to that website all the time, every day, I have it pinned. I always had it like, uh, what is it? Pin, pin marked or bookmarked, whatever. Yeah. Bookmarked. I always had a bookmark as like my number one <laughs> website. Now I get to work for them. It's just incredible. And yeah, the original content though, that's something that I wanted to bring because I didn't want to lose that. Cause I feel like right now, even before the opportunity, like, I feel like my brand's at the highest it's ever been, right? Like I have the most Twitter followers I've ever had, the most Facebook followers, whatever. I didn't want to lose that. At, when yeah, and that's the, what you're best at. Yeah, it, it's absolutely, I feel that too. And it's, I like telling stories and I just didn't want to lose that aspect, yeah. even if I'm going behind the scenes to a degree. So they were all on board with it, which I was kind of surprised by. And it made my decision very easy. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, yeah, so I'm excited. I'm going to be telling some more stories from the Xfinity series. I mean, that's my going to be my focal point again. Mm-hmm. Uh, that wasn't my idea either. At first, they said, oh, we're going to have you control the Xfinity stuff. And then I brought up the idea of doing, you know, like an Xfinity weekly column, just like the past four years. And it's going to be, I'm super looking forward to it. Like it's it's going to yeah. be going to be really good. I feel like for from both my side, because I get the platform of Jayski now, then also JC because they're gonna it's not gonna be different but it's gonna be it's beneficial for everybody absolutely i think all parties win yeah well i said i told it to you when it happened but uh, i'm super happy for you because it's great it's great to see you get rewarded for all the hard work and like they're getting a, a tenacious hard worker but who also is like damn good at what he does so i'm happy for you happy for them it's going to be a great marriage and a great partnership and i look forward to reading everything it's going to be awesome really appreciate that davy and I just know that, you know, this is proof that hard work pays off. And there's times where you, we talked about it, like you, you can't see the bright side. It's yeah. so dark at times. I was miserable for years and I'm not showing it at the racetrack, but I'm miserable there because you're so close. And then it just, it's that high and it goes away. Yeah. So just the fact that this happened, I'm so thankful for, for Scott and everybody at JSKJ. Jay. Um, but it, I think it's living proof that hard work pays off if you if you devote your time and your energy and your resources into your craft i think hard i think good things happen to good people and i think good things happen to people that work hard so i'm sure davy that you're you're gonna get your your shine here in a little bit yeah i hope you're right but i i agree with that so we'll keep on keeping up the good fight um i remember it was at we're gonna get to the fun portion of things now okay i think uh this has been fun but this is the real fun portion I think it was either Martinsville or Richmond a couple of years back. It was when you broke the story that Newman was leaving RCR. It was Richmond. Richmond. Do you remember how you like got the news? You had like one source on the record, maybe a couple, mm-hmm. and you came into the, to the media center and you were like, you were like low key freaking out. You're like, I don't like, should we run it? I don't know if we should run it. And I was like, dude, relax. Like, think about this logically. You have a source on the record saying this is what's happening and you're corroborating it with other people. So why wouldn't you do it? You're like, I don't know. It's just such a big deal. Like it's Newman. He's like big deal. And this is like the first time I've ever done this. And I'm just like, Dustin, relax. 
let like listen to yourself right now here's the information you have here's the information you don't have try to get what you don't have and report what you know and that's all you can do and i think i don't know if tom was there or not but i think you were calling him on the phone probably um i was talking to, tom was very uh, pivotal that day i was so that was such a funny day though because like you you, you break news regularly like that's not that's not a but new thing for you i was it at the right, time that, i don't think i was. exactly that was like the first besides the Galdashian thing, that was like the first bit of like news in terms of like silly yeah. season stuff, whatever. That was like the first big thing that you broke news wise. So that's why you were freaking out. But I just remember that. Cause it was funny. Like seeing you run around like that. You're, you're absolutely. That's why I was freaking out. <laughs> <laughs> that's absolutely that, you know, spot on why I was freaking out because <laughs> it was a big story. And, you know, Newman announced the week prior that he was leaving RCR yeah. um, over in a tweet. I think they're at Las Vegas that year was the chase, the, the start of the, the playoffs. So Richmond was their second race. And yeah, I had a source come on record and French stretch and technically journalism 101, you need three sources to run a story. Yeah. And this, and I had that um, eventually. So we, we did it, we ran it. And I was just, I'm like, what if this is wrong? Like, the, you know, you're going through all your, everybody has everything that, yeah. in your mind. And it was like, oh no. But anyways, um, yeah, it was it was a good story. And I think it was another one that kind of got my name out there. Also, your pin tweet is uh when you were at Michigan and you were going to the press box, leaving the press box, leaving something. The press box. It was the start of stage three. Luckily the race, that was like the last lap of the race. Oh, it was. It was rain shortened. So yeah. Okay. It was I think it was an overtime race or not overtime restart, sorry. It was like a stage three restart. And at that point, I think you needed to complete two stages. So it was yeah, yeah. 20 laps in or whatever. And that week, that was the only time I've ever been in Michigan. Um, and I know you went to college there, but I have a terrible experience with Michigan because it <laughs> rained the entire weekend. The Xfinity uh, race got cut short. Um, and then the cup race got cut short. But I was the radar looked like we were going to be there like Tuesday. Yeah. Which has happened before in Michigan. But yeah, mm-hmm. I was standing right next to the fence and that, that was when the they had the package too where they could get up to like 210 yeah if not faster so they're like going by you at 200 and it's the yeah. first lap of a restart so they're all packed together mm-hmm. and i mean you just see it like the guy's poncho that he's wearing next to me is just blowing off of him essentially <laughs> i mean it was it was just an incredible adrenaline rush you said you were scared of shit were you actually scared yeah, because what if something went wrong? <laughs> <laughs> like, you're that close. Like, I don't yeah. know. It's like, there's a crash right there. Like, you're shit out of luck. That's true. That's true. I'll give you that. I was at the race in Daytona um, when Larson flipped into the fence and, like, his engine or tire, like, went into the stands. I wasn't yeah. in that section, but I was at that race. So, you're right. Shit could go wrong quick. <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah. And I, I mean, when you're that close, and also, I, I don't, so this is a mistake, and I don't advise anybody to do this. But I never wear like earphones or headphones or anything. Do not do that. Uh, yeah, don't do that. Especially like Bristol. Oh my God, terrible! Your ears will be ringing for for days. Minutes. Yeah, days really. But you know, you're just trying to get your thoughts and gather them back for yeah. 10, 15 minutes afterwards. So I, you know, that is when they had the the seven hundred fifty eight hundred horsepowers. Yeah, yeah. You know, in Michigan. So yeah, that was ugh, my eardrums are feeling it for sure. Next order business. Did Clint Boyer, I think he like offered to pay for your travel to and from races at some point. Cause like you, after you got back from a race, you, you tweeted something that like was exactly what I was feeling was like, God, 
I'm I'm working so hard, like I'm not gonna give up, but like paying my own way, it sucks. And then Clint basically was like, I'll pay for your travel. And I was like, What? And I texted you, I was like, You gotta take him up on it or what? So it wasn't <laughs> so that kind of I guess relationship stems from I do my stats every like every after every national uh, yeah. Race. Okay, like, I remember so this, yeah. Especially Xfinity and Cup. So it was the yeah. July fourth weekend race last year. Where Justin Haley won, and Clint Boyer was in the running to win. If you remember, him and Austin Dillon wrecked to start the whole, you know, the the big wreck that had like twenty five cars in it. Mm-hmm. And then Justin Haley stayed out while everyone else pitted, and he won Lightning or whatever. So it was Clint was having a really bad summer stretch. I think it was like his fourth race in a row or something that he finished thirty fifth or worse. Like it was bad. Yeah. And so I tweeted that out. Like he he gained a spot in the points even though he finished thirty whatever it was fifth. And he shat on you for it. Yeah, he gave me the he quote tweeted and gave me the middle finger. <laughs> and so soon after he followed me, I think I favored it. He he followed me and then DM'd me saying, Oh, I'm just joking around with you. Yeah. Which yeah. was really cool. So the next weekend I was at Kentucky, uh, because that was after Daytona. And I'm like, Hey, you gonna give me the middle finger again? <laughs> and he started laughing, like, Oh, we got a pop out of him. And so yeah, that relationship I tweeted that night. Uh, it was Sunday afternoon. I traveled overnight from Kentucky. It was Saturday night race, which is something I also don't advise. Like, don't drive if you're very, very tired. I know you do it, too. Aaron Bearden has a trick to stay awake behind the wheel, and it's pouring ice cold water on your head and just being wet <laughs> for the rest of the drive. But I don't advise that either. I, I, I'm I not a big um, caffeine person, and I yeah. don't drink coffee, but I'll just try and, like, chug Coke or whatever it is uh, yeah. at night which to keep you up. But so I did that. I drove overnight and I tweeted something like, Oh, I don't remember exactly what it was, but something about like, you know, thanks for having me this week in Kentucky, blah, 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 blah. And so Clint quote tweeted and said like people paraphrasing, but you know, people don't know how hard you guys worked to, to promote our sport or something like that. And I go, that's kind of cool. And then he did it again at Pocono when I drove overnight from Bristol to Pocono. And then the Martinsville deal happened last year, which was really cool where I said something like, you know, time had a great weekend in Martinsville, time to drive nine and a half hours back to home or whatever. And so he quote tweeted and said, yeah, like next time I'll pay for your travels. I'll be disappointed if you don't let me know. So obviously as a journalist, like you can't accept, like I was very happy. Right. Cause I, I texted you right after I was like, I was like, that's awesome. Sucks that you can't take him up on it. <laughs> like I was in tears literally that, that, that he offered that because that's, yeah. I feel like a, a very big level respect from someone Huge. that's very prominent in the sport. Absolutely. Um, from a top driver of the top team and the fact that he just, you know, went out of his way and did that like that's mm-hmm. huge. And it means a ton. Yeah. Obviously I can't take him up on it, which yeah. sucks. Uh, but very, very, I don't know. It's just a cool, I guess, relationship that came about being in this business. Yeah, absolutely is. We talked about WWE a little bit. Um, <laughs> full disclosure. I know nothing about it. I don't watch it. I'm not super interested in it. I'm kind of interested in it, but I can't get into it. Don't know why. Don't ask me. But I do know that you love it, and a lot of people in NASCAR love it. Alan loves it. Kelly Crandall loves it. Um, There are a ton of people that love it. And you proposed to Nikki Bella. I don't know the significance of that. Uh, So, like, I don't know if that's a big deal or not, but is that something people do? Like, is that normal? Is that a thing? (laughs) I don't know if it's normal. I might just be freaking crazy. Um (laughs) But at the time, so that was November of 2014. Uh, the Bell Twins had an appearance in Buffalo before Monday Night Raw, obviously on mm-hmm. Monday. 
so I went to it, my dad and I went to it, and I think two nights before I made the sign because at the time there was, you know, total divas. I don't know if you ever watched that or heard of it, no. but it's a reality show on E. Um, total divas was the original, then total bellows became a show. And now there's, I've heard of that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's reality based. And at the time, total divas was really big. In fact, I was just watching it two nights ago with my girlfriend. Cause she's, I got her into it. Actually, she kind of <laughs> got into it herself. I watched total bellows with her and she, she's like, Oh, I want to go back and watch all the other seasons. So mm-hmm. this, I made a big poster and it says, marry me Nikki on it. Yep. Because one of the storylines was that John Cena, then they were dating. Now they're not together, but he didn't want marriage or kids. So I'm like, Oh, screw it. Like I'll, I'll make a sign. Shoot your shot, dude. Yeah, you gotta do what you gotta do. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that was, that was what 19, I think at the time. Something like that. That was young. really cool. <laughs> yeah. I was just like, screw it. Like I shoot my shot. So she's like, <laughs> I told, you know, you go up, you got to get a picture with both of them. So I'm like, oh, cool, whatever. And I'm like, well, I, I want to get a picture with just you, Nikki, because I have something. And so I displayed it to her and she's like, well, it's only official if you get down on a knee. So I'm like, anything for you. So I got down on the knee and I got to hold her hand. It was incredible. So yeah, That's it's funny. moments like that, that, you know, you just never forget. That's cool. That's funny. I, I've always like wanted to try to get into WWE, but then. I want, I, I just can't do it. I don't know. Why. It's the I, best form of storytelling. I feel like there is. Yeah. I don't know. It's just, I, I can't get past the fact, like, sorry if this is triggering, but I can't get past the fact that it's not real. You know what I mean? See, that's the thing is like, not real is, at least you didn't say fake because it's not fake. Like, oh, yeah. I, I need to figure out a way to say it, it's real in the sense of like what those guys and girls are doing is real, but in yeah. the sense of another sport, like I get, yeah. I guess like the outcome is not organic. Is that, is that better? It's predetermined. Yeah. I I can't get past that. It's predetermined, which I get it, but it's like an, that's my escape. That's always, like I said, racing is my escape, but really if I was even during like race season and I was miserable at the track, like WWE was my five hours a week of escape. Like I could just watch it from start to finish, not worry about the world and just, that was my escape. So uh, just the fact, I think it's the best form of storytelling. It's mostly all live usually, especially, you know, Right now, maybe you know, most of it still is, but some of it's not because there's no crowds at the shows. Mm-hmm. But and the fact that they can do the stuff to their bodies and not hurt each other, like they're taking yeah, care insane. of each other. I got, it's I got incredible. all the respect in the world for them. I just, and I'm sure, like if I sat down for like a couple weeks at a time and like watched it like regularly, I'd be into it because like my girlfriend got me into Below Deck, so I can probably get into anything at this. Point. I got my girlfriend into it. Like she, she regularly watches it now with me, so yeah. it's kind of cool. Yeah. Post-vaccine, I'll watch Monday Night Raw with you. Great, I will. Okay. I'll make sure to keep uh, make sure to keep you to that. Cool. Um, we talked about Syracuse hoops. You and Alan Kavana have a nice bromance with that. Um, <laughs> I visited there once. I got waitlisted, uh, but also it was ridiculously expensive, especially at very state. expensive. Um, very expensive, so. and no, they don't do a good job with uh, with financial aid. Yeah, not, Even not great. Not great, Bob. Uh, we talked about Syracuse, talked about WWE. Uh, we'll chat a little bit about the Bills. Last night, blowing out the Pats by 30-ish. I know like the Patriots aren't what they once were, but, I mean, hey, go Bills, baby. I'm just mad that Bills Mafia can't be there to celebrate with them. It's tough because that stadium would be rocking this year. Oh, if, my God. Like, that place was rocking when they were 4-12. and 12. So, yeah. I can only imagine what it would be if when they were 12-3. and three. Um, 
But you yeah, just need be- to get like the world's biggest uh, folding chair table or whatever and just figure <laughs> out a way to break it. Like drop it from the sky at the 50 yard line and just go nuts. Well, see, they're trying to get fans select yeah. amounts. Only it's less than 10,000 for their home playoff mm-hmm. game. They're at least going to have one, which would be great. And that place would be rocking with only 10,000 people. Oh, yeah, it sure so, would be. Especially in the playoffs. I haven't had a home playoff game in 25 years. It just, I saw yeah, you posted like a couple years ago. You and your sister went to that oh, Blizzard game, right? Oh my god, I'll never do that again. You're still thawing out. Yeah, I'm still thawing out, man. Like <laughs> that, it wasn't supposed to snow. It was all lake effect, and wow. yeah, like I didn't bring much snow gear at all, just cold gear because it's December, and so I didn't have boots. I had how many? How much did you guys get? Like two feet? Yeah, it was like two feet over the duration. Started snowing like an hour before the game. We were tailgating yeah. with some friends. And then it never stopped. But then once you're outside of Buffalo, it, there's nothing. Like it's all, it's just That's Buffalo. That's crazy. So my feet were frozen for literally probably two or three days. Wow. <laughs> like it took a That's while nuts. to stall them out. So yeah, that standing was. At, standing at Michigan State football games and like it, it's hailing, it's raining, it's snowing. My feet are cold. I can't imagine two feet of snow. <laughs> Again, though, that's something I'll never forget. Yeah. 100%. And then and then a couple months before that, I was at the Syracuse Clemson game where Syracuse won. And now you got to storm the field, which is great. That's so, on my bucket list, and I'm sad that I didn't get the chance to do that at uh, at MSU. That's pretty cool. Was that fun? That was a lot of fun, yeah. So Syracuse, like, I don't know, 30-point underdogs probably because <laughs> oh, their yeah. team sucked that year. And they they stayed with Clemson, and they ended up beating them. So, yeah, we got – I was there with my sister and her now fiancé. That was so much fun. We all hopped the fence, and it's like a four-foot drop, five-foot drop probably to get over the fence. <laughs> Ton but of people probably just did somersaults and just ate. Couple shit. people, couple people. One person right in front of us broke both their legs. Oh, like oh shit! <laughs> like, did you like see it happen? Uh, I didn't see it, but I heard about it. And it was on the news, so yikes! Uh, glad, glad that didn't happen to me. Yeah, you got <laughs> legs. You got legs of steel, my friend. That's good. <laughs> um, all right, last question that I have for you: the Dustin mm-hmm. special. Do you know what the Dustin special is? I'm trying to think. I don't know. Oh, the Dustin special is two thumbs up. Every single picture that you have, it's always two thumbs up. That's the Dustin special. How did this happen? I don't know. It just—it's just a reflex, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, you got so. (laughs) I met a lot of cool people in my life, right? And even if you know, if you're just a friend or whatever, and I'm taking a picture, like I, you, you know, you have one arm around somebody, but what do you do with the other arm? So you gotta have. I just like doing thumbs up. It just yeah, yeah it isn't natural. You're like Ricky reaction. Bobby. Like I don't know what to do with my hands. I'm guilty of it when I'm like taking pictures. I don't know what to do. Yeah, what do you do? So you just put them up. I usually throw one of these up, but my friends hate it. They're like, "You're not in this the eighties. I need to buy like a, my own emoji or something." Yeah, I mean, you you there needs to be like a bitmoji or something of like your face like this, and then just two thumbs. <laughs> that needs to be yours. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, just natural reactions to do it. Yeah. Well, Dustin, this has been fun. It's been a little over an hour, so I appreciate you giving me all this time. It was fun to uh, fun to catch up, relive some memories, get to know about your past and your upbringing a little bit more into the sport. It's been fun and uh, goes to that saying because I've said it before to you, you know, off camera and stuff like that. But we both know the grind uh, more than and like, you know, we talked about how we love all the established reporters, but I, I think they would probably say too, like we know the grind just as well as they do, if not better, just because of the landscape that things are currently. And I'm glad that I have you to vent to. 
uh, lean on, you know, do all these things with and just complain when we need to complain and just do whatever. Um, but I appreciate you. I appreciate your friendship. I appreciate you pushing me to be a better reporter, writer, person, front stretch colleague. And I look forward to the next few decades of seeing you at the racetrack and doing some great work together. Well, right back at you, Davey. I really appreciate the kind words and look like we're, we're really good friends, but in a way, like I always, you bettered me at front stretch because you did we, the same. I have that here. Like we both were hoping for a cool opportunity or an opportunity to rise where we can make the most of it, where we're making a living in the sport. And I felt like I had to, some way like you're great on camera in some way I had to out, like we had to outshine each other and I feel like we had to one up do each other and yeah. I don't know if you feel the same you, you might tell me yes I, I literally have right here my last thing says thanks for being a great friend and pushing me I have it right there yeah I mean same same to me like you pushed me to be a better person and a better better reporter personally so I thank you for that and I'm glad I could do the same for you it's all love brother proud thanks. of you killing it at J ski Enjoy the rest of your offseason. We'll chat soon, but hopefully maybe I'll see you in Daytona. We'll see. Hopefully we'll see you in Daytona, Davey. And we're back. Hope you enjoyed that convo with myself and Dustin. We had Jamie Little on a couple weeks back, as I said at the start of the episode or, or interview there. And I want to get some more media members on throughout the offseason as we now head into the new year of 2021. I got a few on my list, notably Jeff Gluck, Zach Galbert, Bob Pockris, perhaps Dustin Long, Nate Ryan, Chris Myers. I sent him an email or his website at least. Maybe some other people here and there. Alan Kavana. There's countless people that I want to have on, but it's just a matter of if and when. But we will get there. Lock Nuts of the Week! Cue that funky music, white boy. We only have one bit to touch on this week. And it's not even official yet, but it's that Beard Motorsports, they've had Brendan gone compete on the Super Speedway races the past couple years. But since Brendan has now retired from NASCAR Cup Series racing, Noah Gregson is reportedly going to compete for them in the 62 car for the Daytona 500. That will be his first career Cup Series start, and it will come in the Great American Race. Chris Knight and CatchFence.com were the first to report that news again. Not officially official yet because the team has yet to say anything, but usually when Chris and Catch Fence report something, you can have it as fact. Chris, also one of the people that I want to have on in terms of media people coming up here on Victory Lane. And honestly, guys, that's all I got for you this week of lug nuts. Short and sweet, but that's how it is sometimes in the offseason. I hope everybody had a very, very Merry Christmas and a happy Kwanzaa to those out there who celebrate Hanukkah. We already got y'all covered, but we had a good one here in the Siegel household. Hope you did wherever you're celebrating there. Or if you celebrate something else that I missed, I'm sorry, but I hope you had a great time celebrating whatever you choose to as well. Happy New Year. Safe, healthy, happy. 2021 cannot get much worse than 2020, so things are looking up. I know it. I know it. I know it. Have a safe and healthy new year, everybody. I will talk to you guys on the flip side in 2021. Be good.